Welcome to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. Your source for coyote hunting, fishing, and more. We're calling West Texas, and we're filming, and we called 36 coyotes in one night. Two years ago, three years ago, I had in one morning six bucks that were three and a half and older within 50 yards of my stand. Six different bucks one morning. It was in October. Went made my first coyote stand, me and my cousin. And uh, very first freaking stand, guys, we called up seven coyotes. <laughs> seven coyotes. Florida itself is a fisherman's paradise. We stick out in the middle of the water, man. There's water everywhere. Let's kick it in the overdrive. This podcast brought to you by Predator Hunter Outdoors. Locally owned and operated out of Attica, Michigan, Predator Hunter Outdoors will keep you hunting when the sun goes down. Predator Hunter Outdoors has something for every budget and experience level, including lights, night vision, and thermal, as well as a full line of tripods, mounts, and predator calls. Look them up on Facebook and Instagram at Predator Hunter Outdoors, or visit their webpage at www.predatorhunteroutdoors.com. Enter the promo code LIGHT for 20% off light products, and TRIPOD for 10% off tripods and mounts. With today's technology, hunters in the field have more tools than ever to maximize their outdoor experiences. One of those tools is a Grand Rapids, Michigan-based HuntWise app. The HuntWise Pro app is loaded with features including property lines, landowner data, windcast, huntcast, over 250 map layers including 3D maps, a localized rut indicator, as well as discounts of 20% off various name brand products. Step up to the Elite membership and you will get all of that plus HuntCast 2.0 with customizable alerts, Whitetail 365 which gives you season dates and local rut times as well as the best time to plant your food plots, a 15 day hunt forecast and 40-50% to 50% discount on name brand products. Enter code OVERDRIVE for 20% off your membership to HuntWise. Welcome back everybody to the Overdrive Outdoors podcast. It's me Josh Mapes this week, co-host Mr. Kevin Raw, and this week we are joined by Mr. Sean Spar of Spars Outdoors. How are you Sean? Doing good, doing good. Did you get out fishing today? I did not. I was uh, getting my boat prepared. I was going to go trolling, but uh, I went down to the boardwalk and uh, right here in Port Huron and there was some there were some my buddies were down there. Uh, limits of walleyes were being caught in the daytime, along with some steelhead. See now, maybe you can clear that up for me. One of my friends, I don't know, two weeks ago or something, said the season on this side of the state or in the lower half or something for walleye ended, but you could still go elsewhere and catch walleye right now. Do you know uh, how yes. that works? Does, in the St. Clair River Lake here on season, don't shut down on walleye at all. But up Black River. Uh, there's certain tributaries of waters that do, but the St. Clair River itself, you can catch walleyes all year, Lake St. Clair, Lake Huron, it don't shut down. Now, is that a numbers thing? Uh, yeah, you, you. what do you mean, like a limit? I mean, is there a whole bunch more of them up there and they just don't close the season kind of for population, you know, reduction type? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, there's a ton of walleyes. We got our local walleyes that stay here all year long, and that's what they're, that's what they're getting right now. And then the big run comes. I mean, you can catch walleyes in between icebergs here when they're flowing down the river because our current's so swift here. You know, we get them big ice pack that come down from Saginaw Bay. Okay. And you can fish if, if you <laughs> if you're crazy enough, you can fish in between them icebergs and jig walleye. So are you crazy enough? Yeah, that's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so so tell me how that works. Are you like standing on an iceberg or what? No, we we take the boat out and we uh. <laughs> We'll jig in between the icebergs. A lot of guys don't do it. A lot of guys say we shouldn't. We probably shouldn't do it, um, but we do it. We take you the got boat somebody, right out. Somebody standing up high, going iceberg straight. Ahead. <laughs> yeah, we'll be. We're we're trying to jig, but yeah, we're looking at all around us at all times to see what's coming. I mean, is that water moving fast? Oh yeah, very fast current here. Uh, mm-hmm. Moves at like two point six. So uh, you guys do a lot of fishing based on looking at your YouTube channel and you're always posting on like the Overdrive Outdoors community page, your videos. I mean, it looks like you guys are oftentimes after multiple species. You're not just uh, going out there for one thing all the time. We do soccer fishing and uh, we'll go bow fishing for carp. We do it all, you know, and then we, we pick, 
we picked wild mushrooms and asparagus and I was I was brought up hunting fishing my dad I, at the age of seven years old he had me in a tree sitting on a, just this broken off branch and I was seven years old watching shooters first deer I was first wall I which was nine and a half pounds I was uh Eight and a half, eight year, just about to turn nine when I caught it. My birthday is July 29th, and it was like right before my birthday. I caught a giant walleye. My dad was gonna get it mounted, and uh, never did. We wrapped it in newspaper, put it in the freezer, and took it in. And the newspaper kind of ruined it. So um, I did get a replica mount of it though, and uh, that got busted. That got busted when I, I would I'd show my buddies and take it to school, try to sneak it to school, and it it got broke. Did you do a lot of like hook and bobber type fishing back then too when you were a kid? Not really. Uh, I got into that. My dad really wasn't a hook and bobber type of guy. He took me to Harsons Island where you guys have seen them videos. Yep. Uh, that's where we use the hook and bobber. But my first fish I remember catching was a big northern pike and I was casting a spinner bait with a Zepco 33. And I caught, you know, my dad took me up Black River way up in the Mill Creek and we were actually targeting steelhead. And I had this, I just had this giant spinner bait in my box. And my dad goes, no, because we were casting MEP spinners. And I put it on, cast out, and got the, one of my personal best pike I ever caught. Still to this day, so. <laughs> so which fish is it that got you the bug, you think? Uh, walleye. Walleye walleye, and crappie. I, that's, I'm really good at crappie. I, do, I know a lot about crappies because right out of my backyard, I could walk. You know, and I could go to the Black River and there was a little marina there, just a little tiny marina. It's now shut down. It's it's uh sand. It's just all sand now. But and it sucks looking at it because that's where I was introduced. I caught I, I caught 15, 16, 17 inch white crappies in there all summer long. So I'd I'd go in there and that's how I learned how to crappie fish. Okay. And that's how I learned all my techniques I use now. My dad would show me off the end of the docks. Uh and so the bobber fishing thing really wasn't my thing. Yep. Until we went over to Harsons Island, and then I, then he had to literally teach me how to bobber fish. Most kids learn how to fish with a bobber. You don't wait for it to go. I didn't learn that until I was 12, 13 years old. So I was used to the the techniques. My dad taught me how to catch those crappies and walleyes. Like I said, you know, uh, I was just about eight years old when I caught my first walleye. So and I was hooked from there. And I that year I probably caught a hundred myself. So <laughs> <laughs> see, yeah, we and and that's like me. I grew up. We had access to a lake a lot as I was growing up. And it was always hook and bobber there for the most part because, I mean, my dad would go out and try to catch bass occasionally, but he would not be on the boat most of the time if we were using hook, line, a worm, and a bobber. He wouldn't be there most of the time. Right. Uh, and all I remember catching from that was, you know, dinky little perch 99% of the time. And exactly. So, so I kind of grew out of that. And just now I'm kind of getting back into that because I found the slip bobber. It took me 34 years <laughs> to find about a slip bobber. I had never used one until last year. And I really enjoy fishing with a slip bobber now. Oh, it's a fun time. It I is mean, a fun time. You're not casting that giant mess of line trying to get it deep. And, you know, today we were out finding fish in about 20 to 25 feet of water but they were all about 10 to 15 feet deep. That's yeah. pretty hard to fish with the regular spring-loaded bobber. You can't fish that deep very easily and get it out to the fish. No, hell no. You'd have to have one of them 20-foot rods. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have a 10-and-a-half-foot rod, but it does not like throwing little bobber stops through that many eyelets. Yeah, that's the problem you'll have. Uh and I do some fun stuff too, you know. Like I, I, I try to make things fun. I'm, I, I separate my, I separate myself from other YouTubers. What I do, yeah. Um, and I try to make things fun. So, like catching them steelhead on those ice baits that that banger hand tied jigs makes those little. Uh, they're out there in the kitchen. They just make these little tiny jigs, and they got these little hooks. And everybody up there is using bigger stuff, and they're like, "What are you gonna do?" And they were catching very few fish. And I went up. I, I think we caught nineteen in three days. Yep. And I was using a long, I had a 10 and a half foot rod. And and then I also had my rod. I had a ultralight uh, Mr. Crappie rod that's only four foot two. Yep. And I had four pound test on both those rods. And they're like, you ain't going to catch. And I just started smashing them. Now you go up there and everybody's trying that same technique. <laughs> that sounds a lot like coyote hunting. Once it gets out, somebody's doing one thing and doing it good. It, yeah. it, it changes everything yeah. real quick. 
I miss coyote hunting. We need to do, I, I still shoot them. Uh, we shoot a lot of them. We, my dad, my dad's big into trapping, which I'm going to post some of those videos too. Yeah. Uh, next season. Uh, we trap beaver, muskrat, all of that. But, uh, my dad's huge into snaring now. Uh, he, he used to do it years ago and then they made different laws where you had to have to stop loss or whatever you call it. The, the, I'm not a big trapper. Uh, I'm great. I'm great with the muskrat, mink and beaver. Uh, I can beaver trap like no other, but the, but the coyote snare and I, my dad's all about the scent and it's crazy. Like he'll tell me, stay back. Don't come near me. Cause I don't know, but they made them dog proof where they got the lock on there now. Yep. Uh, so my dad had to get rid of all of his old snares, buy these new snares. But now we're finding that the coyotes are alive in these snares. It's, it's great. It's that's, crazy. But the, the coyotes are out of control, man. That's a, a Michigan legal, right, Kevin? Yeah. It's got to have a stop on it. So if like a deer gets through there, it doesn't kill the deer. Right. That's right. how I understood it. Yep. Yep. So you are going to be getting back into the coyote trapping or are you wanting to get back into like calling? I'm going to go back into the calling. I used to do a lot of turkey call or uh, coyote calling and that them Johnny Stewart calls work well. Uh, yeah. I got a Fox pro, but them old, the old cassette tape, Johnny Stewart cassette tape, uh, cottontail in distress. Uh, so many coyotes I shot with that. And the coyotes have become such a problem. It's we watched them. We've literally watched deer, full size deer. We watched a, we watched a nice buck. We were actually after a coyote had it by the back leg, one one had it in the front, there was four surrounding it, one had it right by the neck, and it, and it took the buck down. And we went out in the field, we had no guns, no weapons. Yep. Uh, we run out in the field, and coyotes, you know, they boogied, and the deer kind of staggered off. And we thought for sure that it was going to die. Well, at the end of deer season, we seen the deer, and he was pretty much alive and well. He just had a his back leg kind of dragging. So we're that we thought the throat bite was going to end up with that getting an infection you know yep deer lift so oh, we, nice. we watched we watched on trail camp the antlers fell off so he's got a nice scar so we nicknamed the deer scar he's gonna he was a shooter this year he'll be a real big shooter next year hopefully we can get a crack at him so you mentioned johnny stewart calls that's what you'd be going out with right now yes i'd be using the old school cassette tape <laughs> johnny stewart and a and a and a and a little boom box and that's how i i've, I've shot so many coyotes using that and there's a lot of guys around here that run dogs Yep. Um, they, they've offered me to take some videos with them, but some of the properties they go on are next to the properties where I deer hunt. So I don't really want to get involved with that and be seen out there and then be like, Hey, you know, why are you out here with these guys? I don't want to get in that mix, but I more power to them. Kill them coyotes off. <laughs> well, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> if you didn't catch it two weeks ago, Kevin actually interviewed for the podcast, Gerald Stewart, the son of Johnny Stewart. Oh, really? No, I have to go watch that. That's yeah, awesome. That was a cool episode. We got to hear about some injuries that they got while recording them sounds, and it, it was a cool episode. Kevin did a, a I, good job with that one. Johnny Stewart makes excellent calls. I actually got a little mouth call I got when I was young. And my dad mounted this for me, too. I shot uh, 12 years old. My dad, he had a mouth call, just this little tiny mouth call, and it, and it was a, I think it was like a mouse in distress. I can't remember. It was either mouse or or a squirrel in distress it didn't have a loud pitch but it had a good sound and my dad was not very good with the mouth call so he gave it to me and i put it in i was just squeaking away and i looked up and there's a coyote and boom i shot my first coyote you know and i got it and uh 72 pounds i had it mounted Jeez. and my, yeah my dad mounted it for me but i no longer have that mount either so the kids broke the tail off as my kids got older they broke that so <laughs> oh man i don't mount much no more i got a bunch of deer around here I, the only things that get mounted are the kids and and i, I mount their stuff my I'll, I'll do european mounts on my deer and such, such you know but i'd like to have another I, my buddy got a blonde coyote this year if i ever get one like that that's a full body mount for yeah sure. Blonde ones we've seen. I've only seen one pure, like basically straight up white one, and that was brought into a tournament two years ago, Kevin. Three years ago. I don't remember that one. At the Great Lakes. It was the guy's like first time out hunting, and he had shot like a pure white one with pink paws and everything. I oh shared it God. to our page back when that happened. But yeah, I've never seen one like that. And I the only one I would end up getting mounted, and Kevin probably like is a solid black one. That's like our that's See, the one we want. We have a couple black ones running around. We've spotted them. I missed one. I missed one at 35 yards of my bow. I missed. I, I seen it coming across the field. We knew they were there. And there were some turkeys off to my right. And that's what helped me. I didn't have a collar or anything. And uh, 
I just kind of made a couple little squirrel calls with my mouth, you know, and it turned enough to look and see the turkeys and it come my way. But I think it caught my wind and it did like that bounce, you know, and it kind of bounced out. If you would have kept coming down the path, I'd have, you, I'd have had a 10 yard shot. But I hit, it was in some CRP and I hit some of that CRP and it's just enough to throw that arrow off, went right over yeah. it. Big, a big black coyote man and there's two of them running together uh but they do it's crazy because my buddy lives about three miles it's almost three miles from where i hunt i don't know if, if it's a different one but he sees a black one but it's by itself now when we see the the black coyotes over at our property they're always together huh. i think it's a man and a female together and my that's what my dad was hoping to get in the snares didn't get them he that'd got a bunch like, never got like- the holy grail to walk up on a double black coyote that, that would be an expensive day <laughs> yeah oh yeah i told my wife i said if i start calling and they both come in and i get them both they both got and what's great i i know it's a male female you know, one's huge one's real like you know it's a lot significantly smaller so but but if they come in i'm getting them both yeah for sure and they'll both be going on the wall so you said you used to do a lot of calling what why'd you get out of it for a while just mainly because, you know, it's all the guys that run the dogs. And I've noticed that the guys, when they run the dogs like that, and they run them hard around here, like I'm talking, they'll run 12, 15 dogs at a time. Yep. There'll be vehicles around everywhere. And then I go into them same spots and try to make a coyote call. And it was harder to call. Them. <laughs> yep, they, they I get you. Yeah, they wouldn't come in no more. But now we've got spots again where they can't really run their dog. They, they paved a lot of the roads that used to be dirt. Oh, okay. So there's a lot more traffic and people are, you know, you don't want your dog to get hit by a car, obviously. We had two beagles that we used to run, just like rabbit hunt. We used to rabbit hunt constantly. My dad had amazing beagles and they both got hit by the same car running a rabbit. So my dad never got another one. And I, my brother did and we trained it and we killed rabbits over that. Then my brother moved. They didn't allow dogs. He had to sell his dog. It was so yeah. ever. We just kind of got out of some of the things, but we're going to get back into it. We did do a lot of we still kick brush piles for rabbits, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, do it the old-fashioned way and shoot a few, but you don't get your limit. You can't go out and get a five-person limit a day no more, yep. you know, without the dog. But, yeah, the, the main roads now kind of killed that dog running, you know, so I can we can get in there. That's where our dad's getting more in the snares now, and I know I can call. Yeah. And I still got my Johnny Stewart cassette paper. Like I still got that little mouth call my dad ended up giving me, and I know I can call some coyotes with that thing. Got to get to <laughs> it. Got to get to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there's there's too many of them around there's absolutely there's a bunch terrible. of them still yeah so, so i was cruising through some of your youtube videos and i came across one that i've honestly heard so much about but never tried it and you were catching walleye on gummy worms yeah you see that didn't you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what brought that about Okay, I was, this is a crazy story. My dad, one, there's, there's a spot where we fish and there's an inlet where we cast offshore. And uh, I got a boat so I can pull up there and I can still cast in that inlet. My dad still has permission to fish there. So my dad and my brother will be fishing there and I'll be whipping out the boat for walleyes and we're talking back and forth. But there's this inlet. I was, I was like probably 12 years old. And my dad's laughing. And my dad used to, when he, he used to always eat gummy worms. Yeah. Like he'd always have gummy worms on him. That's a good and, man uh, right there. I need gummy worms yeah, too. <laughs> yeah, so he always be eating gummy worms, and and I ain't catching nothing. And I'm looking over at my dad, and he's laughing. And I'm seeing walleyes on the bank flipping. I said, "What are you laughing about?" He goes, "You're using the wrong bait, son." I said, "What are you using?" He said, "Gummy worms." I said, "Oh, bull crap!" He put one on a hook right in front of me, cast it out, started reeling, bam! He hooked one. He's like, "I told you, gummy worms." <laughs> All these years later, I was thinking, I'm like, you know what? I bet you I can jig. Even run a stinger hook, if I can get a gummy worm, if I if if it it's, it's action, I can catch walleyes on gummy worms yeah. jigging. I knew I could do it casting. I did it many times. I wouldn't actually. I'll do a video of it to prove it. Um, I'll do it this spring. But I was like, I'm gonna. My wife's like, try it. <laughs> I told. I had five buddies down there, and they were just blown away. They were trying it. <laughs> they were putting gummy worms on. And they're like, how are you hooking it? Mine keeps falling off. And I said, you got to be real careful. Yeah. And every time you get a wall, I just pull it off. It they kept breaking, you know. Yeah. But man, yeah. I, I I tore them up. <laughs> and what's crazy is there was four different colors in that yellow and orange. I was, <laughs> I was just going to say, was there any color they seemed to prefer? That orange and red, black forest gummy worm tore them up. <laughs> what flavor is orange and, what would you say, orange and yellow? 
Orange and yellow. What or is no, it? Was it red? Yeah, it was orange and yellow. Yep. So that's got to be like yellow orange is probably lemon or something. I wonder. Yes. I, I don't know. We're going to just have to. Uh, Fish have, have taste buds. <laughs> yeah. yeah man, the, green, the green ones suck. I didn't even get a bite on the green one. <laughs> Chartreuse in this case did not work. I don't it like lime work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not... I saw that video and I'm like, you know, I think I've heard people talking about that. One of the things that I've heard a lot, and I think it was my mom's aunt always said that she would be chewing on bubble gum and she would put that on the hook, catch a fish yep. with it, and when it would like start getting gross, she'd put it back in her mouth, chew it back up again, <laughs> and put it back on the hook. Now I don't know if it's a story or if it actually happened, but if it happens with gummy worms. I wouldn't see that they wouldn't eat bubble gum. Oh, what happened? I bet you it happened. I bet you <laughs> that's not, I, I've caused some fish on. I mean, one time this is no kidding. We were we were catching crappies so fast and so and, and and I mean as fast as you could drop your jig down. And usually I like that slow drop. We were just hurrying up and pitching it down as fast as we could. We run out of bait and we were and back then the plastics wasn't out like they are now. You yep. know. So we were ripping off pieces of twister tails, everything like that. But we did, we run out of everything. My brother Brent come over and started ripping sleeves off his shirt. We were using those, you know, just a white piece of the shirt. And I ain't kidding you. That was years ago. And I was down ice fishing this year. And there's this old guy sitting on the ice in a canal. And I'm, and I'm crappy and bluegill fishing. And he had some jumbo perch laying there. I'm going, what? So I put on a jigger and a pile, you know, nothing. I put on a spoon, got a couple, but nothing major. I went, now what are you using? Sure enough, using a plain gold hook, size six, with a piece of white T-shirt on there, just pounding jumbo per jumbo, like a like, like, wow. like a minnow. Yeah, he said he said you just every so often you give it a flick and it'll just flutter like a minnow in the water. You you know, and and he was pounding them perch on it and said he don't never buy live bait. And I was like, <laughs> I like this guy, and it probably doesn't try. tear off a hook. I'm gonna yeah, try. And I asked him. I said, "What's that?" I'm gonna try chumming with pop rocks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> drop a mentos down there with some coke or something yeah <laughs> find the fish <laughs> you're dang right i'll but, use anything if it works well yeah and i mean were you working that worm when you were fishing with it or were you just letting it float around no i was jigging it right off the bottom i was bouncing the bottom and uh almost and like they... everybody does for any kind of wallet Yep, just like the vertical jigging, you know, and, and yep. I was using a one ounce head, run my stinger hook, and I was bouncing the bottom. And when they hit that, a lot of times when they hit the plastics, they'll come up and they'll, and and you'll you'll initially feel a thud once in a while, but most of the time you go to lift and that fish is on there. Yep, I had that today. Yeah, now with the gummy worm, they were whack like just boom before we even <laughs> hit the bottom. So I was like, damn. And we actually did that five or six days in a row. All my buddies started putting gummy worms on. I should have recorded it. I had a, I had probably eight, 10 guys on there using gummy worms. We all did well. So, so could, for, for guys like me that don't know, what are what's the hook you keep describing? A stinger hook? Yes, it's a treble hook. Uh, when I'm jigging for walleyes, a lot of times I'll hit the back of that bait. Okay. When you're just using your plastic, you got your one-ounce jig head, and you'll get a lot of tail bites. So I tie my own. I got a video on my YouTube uh, where you, you tie your own stinger. It's it's a little treble hook, size 10 or whatever you want to use. Um, I like size 8s and 10s. Uh, earlier in the spring, I go 8s, and then in the summertime, I'll go a little smaller. You know, I'll go to the size 10 treble hook. And you run a piece of line about an inch and a half long. You just have to watch my video, see how I tie the stinger hook. But it's, all it is really is a trailer hook, and, you, and it, a lot of people okay. hook it into the back of their bait. That way, when they hit it, they get the hook, you know. But I leave it dangle. That way, the back of your bait don't it don't take away from the action of your bait. You got to I leave my snare hook dangle. So for a picture, uh, you know, a guy who likes to have pictures to explain things, I'm imagining a rapala with three treble hooks, but you're only fishing the front and back treble, and the back treble is tied on to the front somehow. Right. Like no. Does that no, kind of makes sense. I'm, I'm, well, when I'm talking vertical jigging, I got a setup right here, actually. I can show you. So when I'm vertical jigging walleyes, you got the one-ounce jig head there. Yep. Then you, then you got your plastic there, and then there's my stinger hook. I'm tying it right off the hook. Oh, okay. Okay. See how I got that set up there? Yep. Right, right off the single hook, and then I, my video, this is one I tied myself, and I always leave it dangling. It sets right on that plastic, but you still got your axe in your tail. 
Yeah. And uh, all you do is you can take that off. If you use live bait or whatever, you can take it off just by pulling that tab and put your live bait back on there. Because this time of year, you like to tip it with a metal, you know, and then you yeah. just tighten it back down and your snare hook right on there again. So. And you hook it there because the walleye eat, go for the tail a lot? Yeah, they'll come in and they'll take that plastic from the side or from the back and they'll miss that hook completely. But when you got that stinger hook, they're stuck. Uh, I, I mean, you. If they, the chance, it takes the chances of missing a fish down to like nothing. I mean, you still miss fish, but it, you're going to hook 80% more with the stinger hook. Absolutely. Do you ever run into, I mean, do you seem to run into more problems with a, a fish getting that deeper down in them where you're using players to get them out running that kind of a hook? Not really. Uh, do they swallow it? Yes. Uh, a lot of the times, you know, if it, with them stinger hooks are so small, they, they could be tricky to get out. I just take my finger and I kind of poke on the top of the, right where the circle is of that treble hook and just, it comes right out. It's okay. Such, it's such a small, it's such a small stinger, but a lot of guys use pliers. I, me, you guys have probably seen my videos and go, what is he doing? I got my hand right down a walleye. Well, I'm just used <laughs> to it. They swallow my hook. I'm getting it back. Especially when I'm running my John Latham custom Rapalas. If they, yeah. if they take them all the way down, I'm prying her mouth open. My whole hand's going in. I'm getting my, <laughs> getting my back. Yeah, them things aren't aren't uh, cheap anymore. I remember getting like certain lures. You'd get them for two or three dollars. Now the same ones are like eight, nine, ten bucks. Throw throw yeah. a jerk throw a jerk bait. It's ten bucks, and a smallmouth breaks it off. And you're like, well, right. <laughs> I knew I should have yeah. retied. Yeah. I got a question. Spinner baits we used to use for bass and pike all the time are now fourteen dollars here. It's like, yeah. are you kidding me? You buy them for three bucks, four exactly. bucks. Exactly. Strike king for five bucks, you know. <laughs> I got None a question for both of you. Yeah. Um, I remember growing up, one of the guys we used to fish with um was big on keeping his scent off his lures and setups. So what he would do as is he would always coat his hands with anise, um anise, anise, however you want to call anise. that. Have anise you ever heard of anyone doing that, or do either one of you guys do that? I do. Uh, I use scales fish attractant and they got uh anise oil scent, they've got coffee scent, they have shrimp, they have crayfish, uh garlic, and it's it all just helps keep that human scent off. A lot of people don't realize that, but, but you get that oily from your, your oily human scent on that bait, and it's night and day difference between using something that smells like an attractant you know anise oil is an attractant to a fish uh bait fish is more i like to use that more i'll actually rub that right onto my hands that way when i touch the bait like you said he rubbed onto his hands that way when you touch the bait you're just putting that bait fish set onto that bait and you're not putting your that that human grease on that lure you know so yeah that's that's exactly what he used to do he just kept a bottle of it in his boat and he'd rub it all over his hands and yep smell like black leggers I've never heard. Oh, you know, I love black licorice. I know oh, that's, that's gross. Really good, but, um, <laughs> I, I guess I'd never really thought about like coffee or garlic, though. That just seems like it'd be out of place for him. But, but my buddy, I made him a believer out of the coffee over on Harson's Island. We were having a slower day. I should say they were having a slower day. Uh, my day started off slow, but I started putting a, a drip of the coffee scent of the scales fish trap. I think mainly. In that in that fisher track, it's got actual flaky scale like like material in it. And then when you put it, in, I, I'll drip it right. I won't put it right on my bait. I'll put it into the bag of plastics and leave leave them like that. I actually had a coffee scent in there, and I pulled out. And for some reason, I mean, I got guys on both sides of me. I was just hammering, hammering, hammering. And so I give them some of some of the coffee scent, and they had a lot more success. Uh, I think that just certain areas walleyes and salmon they're gonna love they they anise oil all the way they and the bait fish scents obviously but salmon and and walleyes i anise oil is my go-to scent i i've got actually you know remember the ginseng eggs they used to make little red ginseng eggs you put on your hook for perch fishing underneath the ice yeah. oh yeah yeah so i'd spread those i got those in my uh fish mate tackle box here i've got what is it 250 rapalas in there <laughs> Yeah, there's the, that's just one box. But in the bottom of the box, I've got them ginseng egg plates all through the whole bottom of it. So all that scent is all over all my Rapalas and spoons at all times. 
I pull out a spoon and it smells like ass oil. See, I'll be totally honest, Kevin. I've seen all kinds of the, the all kinds of different things that you smear on a bait and it's for flavor or taste or makes fish hold on longer. That to me is like golf balls being sold as longer range, you know, they go farther. I just feel like a lot of it's just hoopla. And maybe it's because I've always just not been a great fisherman. I no, I a hundred percent agree. Um, and, and I've, I've said this, that scales fish attract, you know, it does work, but I'm not big into the attractiveness myself yeah. at all. It's all about the presentation of that bait, that fish. Absolutely. 100%. You're going to get more strikes by presentation and, and you have to change stuff up. Sometimes I'm, it's just, like that art of crappie fishing video I just said, I explained certain, you know, different times of year. They want different techniques, Yep. Uh, different water temperatures, you know, overcast day versus sunny day. They're going to want different, different presentation. And, and I figured that out because I fish all the time. I live like there's a creek in my backyard. It's got steelhead in it right now. Runs into a creek down here. that has got fish in it. I look out my front door. I'm looking at Lake Huron. Right, I can see the Blue Water Bridge right where Lake Huron meets St. Clair River. Yeah, and I grew up in this town, so I've just I grew up in a fishing town. I found spots that people didn't even know existed for fish in the middle of woods. You know, so <laughs> out hunting, found a pond. Said, wonder if there's any fish. Yeah, there was. You know, so yeah. See now, it. I I just wonder with those scents, why would the most natural and most attractive scent for a bait not be fish the, i think it's more more or less the the scent the the strength of the scent so if you like you can smell the bait fish scent and it's kind of weak okay you smell the anise oil scent it's a lot stronger so it carries farther distance and i know it does matter on salmon fishing just like you know when you're using your meat i don't know if you guys are familiar with much trolling for salmon or anything nope but Okay, so we go out trolling for salmon, and then in July, they love to hit the meat rigs. And that's because that herring has such that strong herring scent. They can smell it for salmon, can smell it for so such a distance that it actually blow your mind. And anise oil, the same thing. It leaves off that real high scent, so they can smell it. Same with the walleye, can smell it for a really long ways. So when we're fishing in this fast current, as we got here in St. Clair River, though, that scent really don't matter. It's all about the way you present that lure to that fish. It's it, the, the current just washes that scent away so fast. You can put out a lure, you're just going to waste your money on scents because it's it's going to just wave it off. Because the current is like running it underneath your sink water for yeah. 10 minutes. It's gone. See, so, I mean, it, it makes sense too. I mean, when you think about it, like shark fish drum. I mean, the whole concept of chumming is to put that blood in the water because they can smell from so far away and they come to it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and... Yep. Every time I've ever gone trolling for salmon, lake trout, anything like that, it has always, I don't think ever one time not been on a spoon. That's what we've always thrown with spoons. Yeah, we we do a lot of spoon fishing too, but I'll use repellent. I've always been the type of guy that I'm going to try something out, you know. Um, I'll troll U20 flatfish. They got crazy action on a down record. Uh, Rapalas, I catch them on Rapalas, bombers. But spoons are absolutely the go-to for, for when you're trolling for salmon and trout. Absolutely, you want to use the spoon. Silver streaks, triple threat salmon lures are amazing. The, the spoons the spoons they got these days compared to when I was a kid, it's like, wow. I won't even use the stuff I used when I was a kid that worked because you look at these ones and the old ones just don't look right. We, we were talking at work, me and the, the old guy I work with, he's about retirement age. We were talking about old baits, and I said, "Do you ever remember the camel cigarette? Look like a look like a crayfish crankbait. Have you ever seen that?" Yes. One? Yeah, I've seen that. Yep. My yep. grandpa had a ton of them things, and I don't know if it was like by the carton you got one of them. I don't know how that went, but we used to catch the crap a uh, smallmouth locally on that crankbait made to look like the Camel Cigarette Company camel. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I remember <laughs> seeing those. I haven't seen them in years. That's crazy, no. brother. I, I think my grandpa had one. You know what? He smoked camels, so it might have been a promotion through that company. It had to like have been, I guess. Like that Marlboro's used to, they used to send you the, you could send in your things and get the Marlboro gift. Maybe Camel did that back then for them lures, but my grandpa had one, and I used to laugh at it, you know, and he said, I caught a lot of fish on that thing. <laughs> yeah. I never used it. 
He wouldn't let me use it. It was something he, I bet he still has. That thing that thing had good action to it. The tail would flicker as you reeled it. It was it was nice. We caught a lot of smallmouth on it. And I, I just remember my grandpa had a lot of those. Yeah. Did he smoke camels? <laughs> I I honestly don't remember ever seeing grandpa smoke until he was like ready to be done. And oh, really? that's the only time I really saw grandpa smoke, but I'm sure there was, I mean, you know, he was a veteran and worked at a prison and all kinds of stuff. So I'm sure there was some stuff. <laughs> he, he got him somehow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah, my grandpa had one. I remember the one. And I remember exactly what you're talking about. And I always said, let me cast that. He wouldn't let me. <laughs> I there was a couple of lures he would not let me use ever. So <laughs> they're the most never probably worth a lot of money. Right. Yeah, they're worth even more money now. I think that camel cigarette one is like 30 bucks or something, if I remember yeah. right. I Holy mean, you, you know, the cigarettes were cheaper than that. <laughs> so so if you're going out uh, fishing right now, what are you mostly targeting? Are you going for walleye more right now? Or are you going for panfish or, or does that kind of depend on the day and the weather? I'm still uh right now it's just that time of year where everything's kind of slow but yet it's picking up so pretty soon here it's gonna be walleye walleye coho coho so when the walleyes are biting the cohos are biting and i and i it's a it's a toss-up in the air i want to go for mainly once i once i get my boat ready i'm going to be trolling for cohos because i know like this is no exaggeration in the month of april alone my household will be set on walleyes like yep. Like, well, we, we catch five to 6,000 walleyes a year just in our household. So to go target walleyes when it's really cold out, it's just not my thing. I wait till it warms up, go out whipping, sit there and bullcrap with some buddies and just have fun. Go cast twisters from shore, jig from shore. I change up all – I can't do the same – I don't know what, what you want to call I can't do the same thing over and over. I get bored. Uh, panfish are still going. Parsons Island was great today. They did really good. The perch are starting to show up over there. Uh, they, they've been showing up over there, but they, they haven't seen the big schools yet that's coming. There's okay. People don't realize that in June, you will catch some of the biggest fruit numbers that you've caught all year on Harrison's Island, and, and, and they'll be big fish. Now, that's is, coming that, up. is that statewide, or is that just specifically there? No, no. it's uh, there, There's certain areas definitely for perch. Like, I'm waiting for any day. I don't know, like, any day. I'm talking this, this could happen. It could be happening right now. Alexander's Bait and Tackle in Caseville, Michigan, uh, Sea Wing, Michigan, I should say, they're going to be getting a hold of me because the river, as soon as the ice leaves and, and then the water is usually dirty for a few days, it clears up. You have to go. It's about an hour and 20-minute drive from me, but it's worth driving up there because the, you get double-header, huge perch, and we'll take a family trip up there once a year, twice a year, and we'll do that. But that only lasts for about a week. And then you go to Harrison's Island. you, you got to move around to get them. It's closer. They're, like, I can go right here and catch birds, but I'm not going to get those big numbers. Like, yep. right here where I live, it's, it's great for everything, honestly. It's really, I'm, I'm in, I get, I, I'm spoiled. I get to go fishing for walleyes and salmon and perch and crappies, and I ain't got to drive far at all. But we do take that trip to Sea Wing because it's absolutely worth it. Like, when they were catching all them uh, lake trout and case, everybody was posting videos up and saying, why ain't you up here? I said, well, that's because everybody's posting videos up there. And lake trout, to me, it's good to keep, like, two a year. You know, we'll, I'll, I'll smoke one, and my wife, she'll bake one. Yep. I won't eat them any. I won't eat them myself unless they're smoked. Um, they're not a fish I target. Like, when I'm out trolling, I get a lake trout. I'm like, damn. Kind of late. You know, <laughs> I don't really want to catch them unless I'm, tur unless I'm tournament fishing. Then I want them for the weight. You know, right. but that's about it. Right. So so I, 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 I get so spoiled. People say, well, why don't you eat that fish? Like, I throw a white fish back. I don't eat white fish. And I know they're good. I have ate them. Um. I eat crappies, birds, walleye, salmon. You know, I get the I get the best of the best, so I don't really have to eat those other types of fish. You know, so yeah. And a lot of people, just like the suckers, I get when we go sucker spearing, which that's happening right now. As soon as the creeks clear up, the creeks are loaded with suckers right now. So as soon as the the creeks clear up from that rain we had, the kids are gonna go spear some. We got a guy down the road that comes down here, and he just he 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 gave my son a fishing rod for some last year. I mean, not it wasn't like a really nice fish, but it was something he just wanted to give my son yeah. we're just glad the guy takes them you know yeah. because i don't eat suckers i will eat suckers smoke i will eat them smoke if somebody's got a batch and they're like hey i got some smoke suckers 
if we're all fishing, I'll eat it then, but I ain't gonna go out of my way to go buy none or anything, you know. How how do you deal with the bones on that? I tried it and man, I could not deal with the that's, bones in that fish. That's just that. That's just that's that's the problem with it. Suckers are so bony. Now a pike, I like it eat I'll, I'll eat I'll eat the heck out of a pike in cold water. You know, okay. as soon as that water gets warm, I'm done with it. They're full of bones, but they're there's you know, I think I made a video on my YouTube of how to clean a pipe where you stake it out, you know, and you get yep, cut. I believe I saw that. that. You can't do that with a sucker. That can't, okay. You can't do that. And so when I see a bone in a fish, that's why I cook all my own fish. When I do fish fries, I'm the one cooking the fish. I'm the one cleaning the fish. Because if I had a bone, I got a real weak stomach when it comes to a bone in a fish. Yeah. Uh, I remember my, my grandpa, my dad, my dad always cleaned them perfect. And I go to my grandfather's and he'd cook fish and he wouldn't worry about the bones and I'd get sick in my stomach when I was little. And I've always, now I can just, I can go to deer and eat a cheeseburger with blood on my hands. But oh, when it yeah. Comes to a fish, yeah. When it comes to a fish bone though, I'm done. I don't want nothing to do with the whole meal yeah. at all. I, my, my, my stomach's done, you know, so. but yeah, yeah, the suckers are bony. You can't really clean around the bones. If, if you can, I don't know how to do it. I know how to clean fish. Well, I, I don't, I'm going to try something if I do manage to make it out and go try to get some suckers. Meat Eater, if you know who that is, Steve Ranella, they yep. talked about doing a fish patty with uh, with sucker where he takes the fish, puts it through a food processor to make it like a mash. And he said okay. it, breaks, it breaks up the Y bones to pieces that will fry apart at that point. So he Yeah, almost it, like a salmon patty. Yeah, he mixes in breading and like I don't know if it was egg or what he said, but he basically makes a pad a patty and then breads it all around and deep fries it. And he said that way all those bones are small enough after the food processor to be edible and you wouldn't know they were there. They just break apart. So he grinds the bones and everything. He grinds the bones and everything, just makes it into one big mash, he said. I don't remember it, he did he said it on a podcast and I don't remember it was like two hundred episodes ago that I, I remember hearing it. <laughs> I definitely try it. I'm like I, I'll try anything. If I, I find it. that recipe, I'll send it over to you. Okay. Okay. Yeah, my dad talked about when he was younger. I I know they had harder times, you know, back then. That's why my dad taught me how to hunt and fish and, and live off the land, really, even though I didn't have to. Yep. My parents had, you know, we weren't rich, but we weren't dirt poor. So we didn't have to eat wild game, but we did. My mom still to this day won't eat wild game at all. But she used to eat fish when she was younger. And she oh, yeah. When she was younger. But now she don't like it. Uh, one day I tricked her. I cooked some tacos. And she ate venison tacos. Didn't even know it. <laughs> and, uh, Does it she know an, it, it now? Month. Yeah, it was, I told her right after. <laughs> She ate four, and then she's like, then we're good. You know, I was like, yeah, you ate venison. And then she was acting like she was going to get sick. I'm like, Mom, that's in your head. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, I'm down to try anything. So I, my dad told me back when he was a kid, they used to eat muskrat and coon and all this crazy. I'm like, you guys are nuts. So I'm at this, <laughs> I'm at, <laughs> I'm at this wild game dinner, and uh, this was, it was a little bit back now. And it was a mystery meat, they called it, at the Wild Game Dinner. I ate it, and I was like, oh, that's gross, you know. I don't like that at all. Just the texture of it. Uh, it had a sweet taste, but the texture of it, I was done at the texture. And at first, I thought, because I've still to this day, I've never had deer liver, so I thought maybe that's what it was. Okay. But it wasn't, and at the end, they pull out what it was. It was muskrat, and I was like, man, I did not like that. <laughs> I'm going to try <laughs> muskrat, too, if I can get one. If I can get Are one, you... I'll try muskrat. Oh, they're easy to get, man. You ever seen them colony traps they make? I don't think so. It's like a cage. It's got two flap doors, one on each end. You oh, stick just it like right a live in. trap? Yeah, it's like a live trap. He swims in there and he's, he drowns because he can't come above water. Okay. So, And then usually you'll get a mink in there because mink chase the muskrats, try to eat them, and the mink will go in there and you'll get a mink too, you know? So my dad's got a really long colony trap. One time we got eight muskrats and two mink in one trap. Jeez. Yeah, I would definitely try it. Kevin, have you ever tried a muskrat? Probably not. I have, I have not. I have a buddy of mine that did. I watched him skin it and everything, but I've never tried it. Okay. Yeah, I know. It's uh, not worth it. Not... <laughs> well, it's... we've had some weird things around here. I mean, I've had coyote, fox, Kevin's eating bobcat. Have you ever tried coyote, Sean? No, absolutely. <laughs> no, I've always told I've always told myself, you know, I'm not eating anything that that eats meat. You know, so, I mean, mus 
we've also tried woodchuck and porcupine. Yep, and you I had raccoon, raccoon before. Yep. We've okay, tried so a lot how, of different things. How is woodchuck? Now we call them groundhogs. You know, there's uh, we got a lot of them, and I heard they're good eat. I just, uh, if I remember right, I just I fried mine up. I think. I don't you remember, but you marinated it for a long time first. Yeah, I think I marinated it for 24 hours or something like that. And I, I honestly don't remember. I'd have to go back and look if I'd made a post about that. This was probably seven, eight years ago that I did that. Um, but it was the flavor was awesome. It was no different. The texture was different, but the flavor wise wasn't hardly any different than any other grass eating animal I've killed like deer oh, wow. I mean, it, it wasn't a terrible flavor um they do say there's some glands on them that you got to watch out for i did not watch out for anything so I, <laughs> I, I don't know how that is and there was something else i ate this year um no i smoked a whole rear ham of a of a deer and people were saying you got to get that gland out that's inside that meat and i never worried about it and i we ate that whole thing and you could never tell one difference about it I mean, yeah, that there was a going. Yeah, I think a anyway. lot of people. There's, yeah, just like, yeah, they say that. You know how many times I can't tell you how many times. Just like bleeding out a walleye, yes, it makes the meat nice and it, it makes it way less messy when you bleed out your fish when you clean them. Absolutely. Uh, but to me, I've I've ate walleyes my whole life. It really don't change the flavor to me. Yep. Now, now cleaning wise, yes, it makes everything a lot cleaner. So I I do bleed all my fish. Well, there's there's certain nights that like when I'm when I'm fishing off the wall on, on shore, I don't if I'm in my boat, I'll bleed every fish I catch. If I catch them on shore, I I don't bleed them. I put them on ice, I bring them home, I clean them up. They taste the same as the ones I bled the night before. Yep. So with some of them glands you're talking about, there I read some stuff on that about them glands in the deer's hind quarter. But it's like I've never run into a problem with anything I've ate out of a out of a white tailed hmm. deer. No gland, not. Never, never. I mean, so. there is a gland in there. If you separate that rear ham into all its sections individually, you can see one black, like like a jelly looking yeah. black gland in there. But like I said, yeah. we smoked that whole thing with that in there to temperature, and we never, you could not tell a difference where that gland it, was sitting nothing. versus wasn't. You know, right? I I just I usually cut around that part. You know, right. so I've never actually ate it. But I mean, if you guys couldn't taste the difference. No, I mean, I mean I, everybody had me worried basically that this thing was going to be ruined by the gland being in there because it was the first time I had tried to smoke a whole one. And no, right. it was my daughter actually ate like three bags of that. I made it into yeah. lunch meat. I smoked it and then uh, sliced it two millimeters thin on a meat slicer and made it into lunch meat. And my daughter awesome. tore it up. Yeah, it sounds amazing. I've so, never smoked. I've never smoked. This is crazy. Uh, I've never smoked any venison. Ever oh, dude, you I've, got to. I've never smoked, and I, I we shoot a lot of deer, but I've never smoked any venison. Now I've you know I've I've ate smoked venison that I purchased at like Johnson's Meat Market and stuff like that, but I've never smoked one myself. Yep. But my I've, I've been thinking about trying it. Uh, my dad wanted to last year, and we should have. Yeah. Because he heard he heard from his buddies. He said, "I'm telling you guys, you need to do that." But the slicing that thin like that for sandwiches that that oh. sounds that sounds killer to me man that is so <laughs> much better than buying any kind of lunch meat from a store and you can make it however thick you want it i like a meaty sandwich a sub i like a meaty sub and you can right. never do it for you know unless you use a whole bag of lunch meat it's never enough this stuff exactly. was had that smoky flavor and it was something i had killed myself it, it yep. made it all that much more delicious, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. When you're eating what you got yourself, that's you right. can't beat it. So, so what is the craziest fishing trip you've been on so far? Uh, the, like, I don't, what's what's do been your favorite trip that you've have you taken trips out of state or anything for fishing? Uh, yes. Uh, I was young though. I was. 15 my grandpa flew me into wawa ontario and we okay. went on a, and we had to land on the water and then we got and it was an amazing fishing trip we caught i can't tell you how many walleyes and i was getting in trouble like there, there was a guide and i was catching walleyes and putting them in the boat and there were slot sizes and i didn't know and, and, I, <laughs> and i'm throwing these big walleyes in the boat and he's throwing them back out of the boat and i'm getting bad 
but it was a fun time. We caught pike, muskies, perch. I mean, it was just one after another, after another, after another. I mean, the fishing action was nonstop. Um, I heard they closed that place down, which sucks because it's been a great place to take kids. Yep. There was an Indian reservation on the other side, and I heard they bought that whole place out because they didn't want they didn't want no like they're okay. Like I know the Canadian people can still fish it, but they didn't want people bringing Americans over there to fish. Oh, okay. So they kind of shut it down, and that sucks because that was awesome. But uh, as of as in Michigan, my favorite trip would definitely be my trip to the west side salmon fishing out of the boat. You know, when you get a thirty pound king and it screams out 200 feet of line off the bite, you know, that's a fun time, especially when you got five rods that all have a fish on it at the same time. Yeah. And, and I call my boat, it's a small boat. I am a small boat compared to all the big charter boats. I've got a 19 and a half foot boat. It's aluminum. It's an inboard outboard, but it is aluminum. So I, it's a small boat and I'm out there and I got five rods going off and King's jumping everywhere, man. That's a blast. And even when I get all tangled up and they, and they tangle all my lines, and I, I don't know if you've seen the video where I was strolling here in Lake Huron, just a half hour away from my house here, and a steelhead hit and broke my line at the planer board, and I hand-lined that fish in. I did not see that one. Yeah, it hit a seven-color lead core, and I ended up, my wife turned the boat around, and I hand-lined that fish in while it wrapped around my downriggers and all my other color rods. So I had, <laughs> no. I had 30 colors of lead core on the floor of the boat, and I hand-lined the fish all the way up to the boat and got the fish. I mean, How big was that one? Uh, an 11-pound steelhead. That had to yeah. be fun with your hand. It was, it was hurting my hand. <laughs> I didn't let the video, I didn't let the YouTube, YouTube viewers know it was hurting, but it was. Were you wearing gloves? No, bare hands. Oh. <laughs> yeah, probably should have yeah. put some gloves off for that one. <laughs> yeah. I pulled up to the planer board. I said, fish is... At first, we could see it jumping still, and then the board was moving, and then it was kind of sat there. I said, ah, it's gone, you know? Yep. Took my lead core, and I, I said, at least I got the planer board back, and I grabbed it, and the lead core still on it. I couldn't believe it. I just pulled and pulled and pulled, and it wrapped. Like I said, it crossed every line I had, and I got that fish. I said, we're done for the day. <laughs> See, I, I don't know if I trust my boat. I know that I could take my boat out on the big lake. It's a 16, it's a 15 foot 11 is what it says. Yeah, I, well, 16 foot. I don't know that I trust that thing on that lake. I don't like the waves that I have experienced out there before. It can get nasty real quick. Lake Michigan on Lake Huron. Um, we get a north wind on Lake Huron. You could go from having... You know, if you have a south wind blowing at five miles an hour or 10 miles, a south wind, I mean, it'll get rough out there, anything above 15 miles an hour for any wind direction. Yeah. But if it's like glass, when you go out and all of a sudden that north wind kicks in, it could be a matter of minutes. You can be in six foot waves real quick. So, yeah. And I don't like that. Scary in, no, that's scary in my boat. Uh, last year, me and my wife took our trip. We take every year over to Ludington. And I tried to get out, and there were there was eight foot waves, and I was like, I gotta get out there, I gotta get out there. And I tried, and I as soon as I come out of the, as soon as I come out of the port, I had to turn around and come back in. The waves were I've never seen waves that big. They weren't eights; they were like well, they, you could surf them. And uh, <laughs> and we we stayed for two days, and then it laid down, and there were still five foot waves, very uncomfortable fishing. We ended up pulling a few fish, and then I got a phone call. My grandma was in the hospital, and then on the way, I said, let's just go. Now, on the way back home, my kids were in a side-by-side -side accident. But, you know, one of them got there. One, Willie broke his what? He broke his hand, hon? Yeah, my, my stepson broke his hand, and my other son got stitches. Yeah, broke some bones. <laughs> and then got some stitches. So it was a – our last trip was a terrible trip. But we ended up coming home with two kings, you know, better than coming home skunk. But like I said, them first two days, you don't want to be – and the charter boats, them 30-footers, they were just running over them like nothing. When you're yeah. in aluminum – I call my boat the aluminum can, you know, it's, a, it's not the name of my boat, but it is aluminum can. You're in a 19 foot boat and six foot waves. You ain't, you ain't, you ain't comfortable. No, no. And I, I don't like, uh, I don't care for catching them big fish that much. I'll go catch some bass where it's nice and calm somewhere. Yeah. See, like the walleye <laughs> fishing, like the walleye fishing in St. Clair river on a rough day, unless the pilot boat, when the pilot boat runs, when you're whipping up, you know, and you're only, 20 feet offshore literally with your anchor you're anchored up you're 20 to 50 feet offshore and the pilot boat decides to run by 100 feet past you 
you got the waves hitting shore and the waves hit the boat. That rocks you're on pretty good. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, in St. Clair River whipping, your boat would let your like you got the perfect river boat for walleye fishing. That's walleye what people fish. say, but man, I don't know. I'd have to make know. the trip. I got a it's, two part. I'll put it to you this way. I hand lined, I hand lined, I had a uh, 14 foot sea nymph with a 9.9 on it. And I used to hand line the river and the lake. Uh, I hand lined the lake before with three footers and, and that boat, and it was pretty uncomfortable. Okay. But in the river, just that 14 foot, I, there's a lot of guys with 14 foot boats out yep. there fishing all the time. Yeah, everybody says it's a lot about being able to control it in the river. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, because that river current's pretty strong. You know, right. but you have the perfect whipping boat. My boat's a little big. Uh, I get a lot more. The good thing is about my boat is once I anchor up, I got to use a pretty big anchor. Okay. But once yeah. I anchor up my boat, being 19 foot, I can turn my steering wheel and I can cover just by turning your wheel left or right. You can swing out or swing in yep. and you can figure out where them fish are. So I can cover if I anchor up in 15 foot of water, I can swing in to 12 foot and I can swing out to 20. So I, I like the bigger boat for whipping because I can cover a lot more ground real quick. It's all about figuring out what you got to work with. Yes, exactly. Yep. Kevin. I got a two-part question for you. Um, okay. what is your favorite fish to eat and what is your favorite preparation? My favorite fish to eat, absolutely, hands down, is a perch. Uh and, and my preparation for that's I, I have to say my favorite fish to eat is perch, crappies, and bluegills, because when you put them together, you really can't tell the difference. Uh and the crappies, when it's cold out, they're still they still get a little mushy, but I mean, as the water warms up, crappies do get mushy. So I, 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 if I had to pick one, I'm going to go with perch. And my preparation for that is I get them. I, in the summertime, you got to put them on ice. In the wintertime, not so much because they're ice. So you bring them home. You, you just put mine on ice today. I didn't know you weren't supposed to all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. When it's when it's cold out, I don't put them on ice, man. They turn to icicles as it is. They're cool all day, you know. But when in the summertime, uh, right on ice with the perch, I, I usually get a cooler. I'll put half water, two bags of ice, fill it with water, so it's like a slushy type of deal. I get them home, I clean them immediately, rinse them off real good, and soak them in the fridge overnight. And then to prepare those fish, all I do is I use the easiest. It's expensive. It is expensive now, um, unless you, it just takes all that extra time away. I, I roll an egg egg wash, you know. So I use egg beaters. It saves the time of having to mix your eggs all up and pull that gunky stuff out okay so i use egg beaters roll it in egg beaters roll it in andy's batter and put them in the frying pan I just had that fish fry yesterday and everybody said i've never had fish that good and that's how i cooked all of them so uh -huh. i i find up bluegills perch salmon uh atlantic salmon i did do some in the oven um but yeah definitely fried the the most unhealthy way to eat them was the exactly amen yes <laughs> have, you ever tried, have you ever tried pickling any fish no, my dad used to, and I used to eat it. Very good. Uh, totally not against it. It's just the process behind it. Yeah. Uh, I think you got to master the art of pickling to get it right. I've had pickled fish that tasted terrible, and then I've had pickled fish like my dad's tasted good, and uh, one of my buddies does some, and he, and, and he nails it. It's actually be better than my dad's pickling was. But he adds something to it that gives it a little bit of a kick. I don't know what he's adding. I don't know if it's just Cajun seasoning. I'm sure if I got the rest right, but if you mastered it, it's good. It is good. Pickling fish is good. That's one I haven't tried yet, but I'm going to. I actually should have kept some of them fillets out from today before putting them in the freezer and just put some in there. I bet you pickling smelt would be awesome. Now that I think about it, it'd probably be amazing. Well, you can you can find out because that's what you're headed to do, right? Yeah, I'm going to go. I know that the water cleaned up. It was dirty for a couple of days, but we couldn't get out. Um, it sucks because... Our, 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 you can use a dip net for smelt before you can throw the cake. Like our, our smelt season opened on the 20th. Okay. So the water cleaned up. Before that, the water was dirty and people, the, the walleyes were coughing up lots of smelt right from shore. We couldn't throw our baskets in. It was like the 18th and 19th. If we could have had our baskets in, we'd have, we'd have had enough for the whole year for sure. So it sucks. It opens up and it happened to us last year. Same thing. But, uh, we did well last year, though, so I think I think we'll get some smelt tonight. If, if I do, there'll be a video of it. Well, <laughs> I definitely look forward to that. Like I was, we were talking a little bit before we hit record here. You're going to do that tonight after we record this. Um, yeah, I definitely look forward to seeing how you do because I've heard from a lot of people that smelt dipping is a lot of fun and smelt are delicious, but I've never had them. 
smelt is. You never had smelt. Never had them. Fried, deep fried smelt is delicious. Do you fry them whole? I mean, skin on everything. Well, yeah. all you do with the smelt, you cut the head off. You you just cut the head off. You cut down to the to the butt. Pull the guts out. Rinse them off real well. And you. Have, and you have, I've never had yeah. it. Never you had it. Excellent. So I assume smelt don't have any kind of uh, scales on them then, because they're small, right? They're just like minnows, or yeah, are they bigger than like emerald, An emerald shiner ha has the flaky scales. Yep. A smelt, and this is no, this is no kidding. And I'm going to do a video on it, so I don't want to give you guys the exact uh, how I do it. Absolutely. My dad taught me this. You can tell the difference in a in a male smelt and a female smelt just by touching it i can tell you and i'll bet some i'll make bets with people you know i bet you i can tell you if that's a smelt or if that smelt's a female i should say or a male just by touching it, they'll say oh you're full of it and every time i'm right and it's just it, i don't want to give the i don't want to give the whole secret away but well, yeah you... go ahead what's that they're they're definitely one of the my favorite fish to eat other than a perch the only reason i i, I put perch above them is the consistency because we don't get smelt like we used to so we don't eat them as much now smelt is excellent i like the mid-sized smelt like they can get pretty big you know they can get up now i can't say big a huge smell is like a 10 inch smelt you know we've got them 11 inches my dad caught one that was 13 he actually caught it on a fishing rod using a night crawler um and but my, the mid-size like that six to eight inch smelt seems to be the perfect smelt to eat you know that's so, like the same size as a good perch right right but the smelt you know they're only that big around so yeah. just so it's, it's like a sardine you know they're kind of kind of shaped like a gar pike in a way then kind of yep. just real skinny long skinny yep they look if you uh you ever seen what a ladyfish in florida look like nope okay so they look like a small ladyfish exactly if you look up lady you can look well you can look up a smelt when you're done and you'll know what they yeah. look like <laughs> yeah i'll yeah, just look just... up a smelt if i want to know <laughs> They're an excellent, they're, they're an excellent fish and, and a lot of people come from a long, long distance away. There's guys that come down here, smelt dip and that are from Iowa, Kentucky, Illinois, Ohio. Ohio ain't that far though, it's a four hour drive, but, uh, you know, they come from a long ways to get smelt. So and if what, they can't get them, they can go up and get smelt dinner at a restaurant. So. Now when you're, when you're dipping, have you guys ever caught any lampreys? Uh, yes, we have. Yes, especially when the water's dirty, you'll get lampreys. We've and uh, we there's a lot of lampreys around. My gosh, there's a lot of them now. Um, but there's you'll get perch in your net. You gotta release them, obviously, because you net them. But you'll get perch. You'll get steel when the water's real dirty. You'll get steelhead, some walleyes, brown trout. You always, you gotta throw them back though. But yeah, we've got lampreys right in there with the smell because they they will feed on them. They'll they'll eat them. We've caught fish before. I think lake trout out of the big lake that you could tell had a lamprey on it before. Like that big old a good on wound them. on them, yeah. Yeah, they're they're a terrible fish. Our, our aquatic creature, I call them aquatic lizards. You know, they're them things are crazy, man. I caught a I caught a king salmon, and I had this lamprey, and I'm telling you, I didn't measure it. I it was a giant. It was a giant stuck to it. I got a picture of me holding the fish. And as I'm holding the fish, you know, I, I, I said, get a picture like this. And I went to turn it and the salmon started flopping and it went back in with the lamprey still stuck to it. <laughs> lost. I was trying to get a better pick, you know, and I lost the fish, but it was a big king, but it had a, it had a head on him, you know, size of a 50 cent piece stuck to the side of that salmon and you couldn't yank it off. I mean, it was on. Yeah. Yeah. Nasty critters. They're a nasty critter. Well, Sean, I appreciate you taking the time tonight. Kevin, you got any final questions? Nope. Well, we will uh, let you get out there and get to your smelt dipping. Where can everybody go to find your videos and ho hopefully see the pictures and stuff from tonight? Uh, Spars Outdoors on YouTube, and I got a Facebook page too. Spars Outdoors is the private page, kind of keep the keep the spammers off there. Uh, but yeah, Spars Outdoors on Facebook and Spars Outdoors on YouTube. That's where I'm at. Yeah, and you've been doing fishing reports and everything, so I'd, I'd suggest checking in because for me, it's somewhat local. You know, a lot of the stuff I see on YouTube right now is like early spring fishing and their water's 60 degrees. Like, okay, my water is 38 degrees. I need water some... 
yeah, I need something local to tell me what the fish are doing here because 60 degrees 38 is a big difference. Huge. We're at 37 degrees right now in St. Clair River. So yeah. yeah, so I I appreciate those videos that you're putting out and keep doing it. Everybody check out Spars Outdoors. Sean, once again, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us tonight. And okay. uh, yeah, we wish you the best of luck. And we will talk to everybody next week on the Overdrive Outdoors podcast.